The Secrets of Middle-Earth is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Middle-Earth, where we discuss the hidden themes and deeper layers found in the works of J.R.R. Tolkien, whether in his writings or in any of the media derived from them. I'm Jeff Hecker, and it is a gift to be joined by Thomas Salerno. Hi, Thomas. Hey there, Jeff. And welcoming Alex Murray. Hey, Alex. Hello. And be sure to follow The Secrets of Middle Earth in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or any podcast directory or app. And you can find us on social media at facebook.com slash Media, or on Twitter or X, where we are at SQPN. Or on Instagram, where we are at StarQuest Network. And don't forget that you can get your own official Secrets of Middle Earth merch, including our awesome t-shirt at sqpn.com slash merch. And it has the Hail Mary in Tinguar and features the five hero races featured in the Fellowship of the Ring. Which is apropos because today we are discussing the film Fellowship of the Ring, directed by Peter Jackson. And it is currently streaming on Max and many other platforms. So before we start, I thought I'd just give a brief description to remind everyone. I'm sure we've all seen it many times at this point. Uh, so the wizard Gandalf calls Frodo Baggins, the nephew of Bilbo from The Hobbit, to bring the One Ring out of the Shire to keep the servants of Sauron from returning it to their master. At the Council of Elrond in Rivendell, Frodo accepts the burden of carrying the ring to Mordor to destroy it. Representatives of the free peoples of Middle-earth join this fellowship. However, Gandalf is lost along the way in the mines of Moria. Aragorn leads the remaining fellowship, which breaks apart when Boromir dies from an uruk attack, and Frodo decides to carry the ring alone, but not before Sam joins him. And Merry and Pippin distract the uruk so that Frodo can, be, can get away safely, but are taken, and Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas go after them. So I thought I'd just open it up um, kind of to just get your experience of the film. Did you read the books first or do you remember your first experience of the films? And Alex, I'll, I'll ask you first as our new uh, new panelist here. Okay. Uh, That's very kind. Thank you very much. Um, I, those are good questions. I was thinking about it. And of course, I rewatched the film yesterday and which was um, September 29th. And do either one of you know what happened on the 29th of September? By the Shire Reckoning. Oh. It's a week after the birthday party, after Bilbo, or yeah, Bilbo's birthday. I don't know. I think you've stumped me. (laughs) Wow. So yesterday is when Frodo, um, Sam, Merry, and Pippin met uh, Strider at the Uh, Prancing Pony in Bree. And so. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So when I was watching it last night, I was like, it's like I'm there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just sitting in the pub with everybody else. And here come the hobbits. So I was really kind of, I just, I, this is, I love that kind of thing about Lord of the Rings. But um, to go back to your question, I, it's interesting. (laughs) The Lord of the Rings has been such a part of my life. I couldn't tell you when it first appeared in my life. Do you know what I mean? In terms of reading it, I I think I probably first, oh gosh, I don't even know when I first read it. I, I have memories of it as a child. But 
I think the first time I read it and I thought, this is not a child's book, was probably in my early 20s. And, um, and so that was, you know, it's always been such a profound, had such a profound presence in my life. And in terms of the film, if I could just share, not, not necessarily my experience with the film, but my husband's experience with the premiere of the film or the preview, we were watching, this was obviously 20 some odd years ago. We were going to see something like, let's say Shrek in, <laughs> in the theater. And my husband is, is, um, a man of measured emotions, shall we say. So he's pretty, you know, uh, even keel on everything. And the premieres were coming, the previews were coming up on screen and you know, we hear the music that we now know. We all have that dun, da, 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 you know. And of course, that probably sounded a little more like Star Trek. But anyway, um, <laughs> he, but you know, it's it's when they're coming over the mountain pass. I think this is when they decided to, to cross to Caradras. And, you know, it's Gandalf and Strider and the Hobbits. And my husband put his his hands like over his eyes and he like was started rocking back and forth and he's like, they've done it. They've done it. And I said, what, who's, who are they? What do they do? And then of course I started, it started clicking in. This was Lord of the Rings. And we both were like, Oh my gosh. And that was before the film even started. So that is, that was kind of the beginning of everything. And it's just been, we watch it at least, at least once a year. I've read it every year out loud to my children um, until they asked me to stop. So. <laughs> oh, wow. Very cool. Wow, nice. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, you said the music, which that might be a whole separate podcast discussion of the music of the films. But yeah, it's so iconic. And Howard yes. Shore like, all parts it, of it out of the park. Yeah, yeah like the, Shire, the parts in the Shire. Like anytime I see a picture of the Shire, that music kind of starts playing in my head. And but yeah, very yeah. cool. Um, yeah. Thomas, what about you? I know we've talked a little bit about this before, but you've—I think you said you've read the books long before the, or you read the books before the films, or were, was well, it kind of around simultaneously? The same time? A little. It actually have two amusing stories about when this movie came out. So I be first became aware of it because you know there were trailers on TV and in the movie theaters, and I was—I I, want to say about twelve or thirteen. And I had just read in school the first Harry Potter book, which, unlike many people in my generation, I wasn't that impressed with it <laughs> for for whatever reason. I got no problem with it. It's just that I I it just didn't impress me. And I saw the, the, the trailers for this new movie and I saw Gandalf flowing robes, the hat. And I'm like, ugh, wizards again. And it was actually my mom who she didn't know a lot about the Lord of the Rings, but she had read a magazine article in, in some local Catholic periodical about Tolkien's deep faith and how he wove that into the Lord of the Rings. And she told me like, no, you, you might like this. It's different from Harry Potter. It's a lot different. And that intrigued me. And so in the run up to the movie, I went out and I bought the books. I went to, uh borders the bookstore when it still existed here in the northeast oh and borders so, is gone borders is gone <laughs> wow yeah. yeah so i boy i've been away for a long time <laughs> yeah so i bought paperback copies i read those it, they knocked me off my feet 
And I, I actually didn't get to see the fellowship movies during its theatrical run. Oh no. Part of the reason was because my family went to see movies in the theater very rarely. It was kind of like a treat thing. And if, and if the kind of like if the stars didn't align, we weren't going to the movies. (laughs) So I managed, and this, this is a, the other amusing thing. I caught the first fellowship movie after I had read all three books. I finally saw the movie when it came out on video. My local library had a screening of it. And so it it was in the basement of the library. They were showing the fellowship of the ring, but it was me, my mom and a bunch of almost entirely senior citizens. Watching, oh, no. and, and they did not know what to make of this film. Oh, <laughs> they, had, they had no context of it. They mostly kept laughing at all the orcs. And then when the uh, when when the movie ends, because they weren't aware this was a trilogy and the movie ends and it doesn't really resolve a whole lot. And they're like, what? Really? <laughs> it's over. And so, like, <laughs> so just, I, just picture that it's, you know, 13 year old me, my mom, and then a bunch of 70 and 80 year olds watching oh this gosh. fantasy movie in the basement of our local library. A three, a three so, hour fantasy movie. A not three a hour <laughs> fantasy movie. Yeah. And it, they, it was the theatrical cut. Yeah. So, yeah. um, Yes, I will always remember that. Of course, I saw the two towers and the return of the. I made sure yeah. I saw those in theaters. Yeah, but yeah, the Lord of the Rings. Just after that, like I said, the books knocked my socks off, and I've reread them basically either reading them or through audiobook every year, yeah. pretty much ever since. You know, it's my favorite fictional universe, and it it's just shaped so much of how I view the world and. You know, and my own journey as a creative writer and things like that. So this this movie and we we watch this movie a lot on video. And I, I have to thank my my aunt, who sadly passed on a few years ago for both taking me to see the two towers and Return of the King when it was in theater and for buying me the extended editions on dvd because for me now it's the extended edition or nothing. You know, once I. Yeah. Once, right. So, yeah. This movie and this movie, The Fellowship, is probably my favorite of the three movies for reasons that I can't properly articulate. There's just something about it that speaks to me. And I'm not sure why it just has a a pred like watching The Fellowship of the Ring to me feels like coming home. That's the only way I can describe it. Do you think it might be because a lot of it is spent in the Shire? I think so. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that yeah, might very be cool. Yeah. yeah, and just for my brief uh thoughts is I so I was aware at least of Tolkien. I think I the my earliest Tolkien memory was hearing a, a drama teacher in like elementary school or something reading Gollum's riddle or reading that that scene out of The Hobbit. And so that and then I so I was kind of vaguely aware of The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings as a as a thing. I didn't really hadn't really read it though. And when the films were coming out, I said, "Okay, I'm if I know a film is coming out of an adaptation, I usually like to try to read the adaptation, read the the book first. And before I see the adaptation, not always, but a lot of times. So I'm pretty sure I read I got the books right before and I read before the fellowship. Um, And I've only read the fellowship or the Lord of the Rings trilogy a couple times through. I'm, as I've said before on the podcast, I'm definitely more of like the film guy of like that's more of my entry um, or, you know, what I go back to. And I, I think now as an adult, I like, I definitely want to get into re 
reading them more often. I think I just read them last year uh, again for the first time in a couple of years. But, um, but yeah, the films, um, absolutely love them. And yeah, my, my memory of seeing the fellowship is my dad took me and my dad is, you know, not a, not a fantasy type of guy. He's like, you know, sports and cars and that kind of thing. Um, and he, like, he grew up seeing Star Wars or Star Wars when it came out in theaters, not when growing up, but when he saw that in theaters. So he's like into, you know, some of that stuff, but when we went to see the movie and I, I knew it was three hours and I said something to him about it. And he's like, this is three hours. Like he had no idea what we were getting into. <laughs> um, so shout out to shout out to my dad for, for taking me to that first one. I think the other ones, I, I think I was old enough to drive or I was like my friends. And, Cause I was about, um, I think the first one came out maybe my freshman year, sophomore year of high school. And I started driving around junior, senior year. So I think by the time the later ones were coming out, we were able to like drive each other to the, to see the movies. But, but yeah, no, I just absolutely love the films. And um, I probably w- watch those at least once a year as well. And, um, and yeah, for me, it's the extended editions. Now uh, I think I've, I bought them on DVD when they came out and they're now on even the, the extended editions at least are on max. So it's even easier to watch them, but yeah, so I just now that we've kind of given our brief thoughts, I just um, just wanted to kind of open it up. We uh, what in your opinions or just or your thoughts of what does the film get right or what do you like about it? As, you know, because I know there's there's things about it that were um, things in the books that were omitted or there's changes that may have been made that aren't always the uh, most popular among like diehard Tolkienians. So just kind of it, it, what does it get right for you that you feel like it? you know, that you enjoy versus, um, you know, and we can, and I have another question to discuss kind of what we, what we may not like as much, but, um, I'll go to you, Thomas first. What are your thoughts on, what do you like about it? That's, um, or like that it gets right for you. I think what it gets right for me is that it, the choice to film in New Zealand was inspired. That landscape is so majestic that it, to me, it, it's just middle earth. You know, it feels like you're in another time, you know, you know, Middle Earth is supposed to be our Earth, but eons in the past. And it it just you just feel transported whenever you watch this movie. Um, So I definitely love all the landscapes. I love that a lot of it was shot on location. I love the attention to detail in everything. You know, the armor, the the buildings, the clothing that everyone wears, the props. I liked uh, if if you've watched any of the behind the scenes material, which in the extended editions, they they supply a lot like hours and hours of behind the scenes footage. There's this part where Peter Jackson says that his philosophy going into this was basically to have the same level of attention to detail as if he were filming a historical epic. He wanted it to feel authentic authentic like he like they had gone back in time to middle to the third age of middle earth and filmed the real events happening on location you know and i think he really nails that it feel the verisimilitude is so real it's a it's a lot like what george lucas did with the original star wars trilogy it feels real like a real place you know that you can just inhabit and i think he that combined with Howard Shore's amazing score and the, the the terrific job done by so many of the actors, you know, I, I think that's what it gets right. And of course, the tone of just I, I think that 
even in the places where they deviated from Tolkien's writings, at least in this first film, for the most part, they kept the spirit of Tolkien's original material. And yeah, it's like it, especially with the first movie, I, it's, it's hard for me to find things I don't like about it. It's easier to just talk about what I like. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, the, it definitely has like, again, I've, I've seen the films more than I've read the books, but yeah, it definitely has those vibes of, as I've gone back to read more, uh, cause I definitely didn't read the Silmarillion until years later. And I've read it again since then. And like, you definitely get the vibes of in the films that, uh, Tolkien was writing about for the, for the landscapes and, and the peoples and everything. So yeah, definitely. What about you, Alex? Yeah, I think, um, I think you got a lot, right. I will say that. And, you know, when I was watching it, rewatching it, um, again, yesterday, uh, I just thought, you know, as, as, uh, Gandalf was, was, um, riding into, uh, Hobbiton, you know, with his horse and trap. And I thought the first thing I thought was, man, I've missed this place, <laughs> you know, and, and it is that attention to detail and things weren't done. It's almost timeless. You know, when you think about how old the movie is and how it doesn't feel old. And I think that's because when they did the costuming, obviously the hobbits were kind of, you know, the way they put the costumes together, they were kind of like 18th century, um, shot, you know, um, squires. And, and I mean, that's really what, um, Bilbo and that's who Bilbo was. He was like an 18th century squire out in the English countryside, specifically the Oxford, Oxfordshire countryside. And so they didn't try to, they didn't use modern contemporary colors or, or fabrics or anything. These were all things that you could take someone back into the 18th century and you'd find someone dressed like that with the same level of detail and quality of clothing. And it was the same thing. I, I watched the behind the scenes, um, documentaries about how, you know, they had potters from, uh, New Zealand and, and they had wood carvers and carpenters and, and artisans that they brought in to, to make the scenery. And it really shows, you know, when, um, uh, Frodo was, was in Rivendell. If you just take a glance at at the table with the pitcher of water on, on the table, the table is beautifully carved. You know, the pitcher is, is a lovely, um, probably salt glazed pitcher. And one of the things I, I was thinking about in terms of the detail, because I think that is why it has, um, maintained its, its, popularity, I guess. And, 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 uh, people still love it. You can still watch this film and you don't feel like you're watching something that's 22 years old. You feel like it, you could, it was made yesterday. Um, it's timeless. And, you know, just looking at Boromir's outfit, you know, when he comes into Rivendell, oh my gosh, I just thought the details, this looks like a man who's coming from a well-cultured, established place where they've worked out their, their philosophy of life and they have their traditions and they have, and it is a high culture. He's coming from a high culture and everything about his outfit speaks to that. 
along with him being a warrior, you know, it's not just a bunch of stuff. It's not like Conan the Barbarian. I don't know. (laughs) You're probably too young to remember when Arnold Schwarzenegger was doing Conan the Barbarian. I'm a fan of the original Conan stories. So, okay. Yeah. So, but do you know I get like, what but, you're saying? But yeah. when they did the films, it's like, what is that? What is that fake fur? What is that nasty <laughs> yeah. thing he's got on? You know what I mean? Yes. Or or yeah. the the knights in armor, the chainmail was literally it looked like a um a sweater that somebody had just spray painted silver. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's not good. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas the chainmail in 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 Lord of the Ring in Fellowship of the Rings, I mean, it's amazing the details, and and it's that kind of. I mean, if you really look at Boromir's, um, you know, the the shirt that he's wearing has, you know, it's beaded with with metal beading, and it's it's just stunning. It's an it's it's like looking at a piece of art. Well, and like we every prop yeah. from this movie is a work of art. It is. Which is it absolutely is. Yeah. And even, you know, from the beginning, of course, I was thinking this not in a maybe in a in a in a way to make myself feel better about my tiled floors. <laughs> but when when you go into um bag end, you know, when when um Frodo picks up the ring that uh Bilbo dropped and you can see the tiles are cracked and there's like dirt and stuff filled in. With, you know, and if you have a floor that's like 300 years old, an old, a 300 year old tiled floor, that's what it looks like. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Whether you want it to look like that or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that detail. Yeah, no, I mean, for, for me, I just, like I said, I, I'm a, I, I don't know if I would say the film, the film is my favorite. It, it's hard for me to rank because there, I, I think I probably like Return of the King best just because of the, uh, you know, I'm typically, I like the big culmination is, as kind of my my favorite but yeah no but i it's it's hard to hard to rank them but i do i do really like it and yeah like you were saying when you compare this to something like star wars episode one while there were a lot of miniatures and things used you can definitely that film has the the cg type stuff has not aged well whereas right. this the cg and the and was mixed with practical enough so that it really like there might be a couple shots that look a little dated but i mean otherwise it it doesn't look, you know, it doesn't look like it was 22 years ago. It looks like it was, this could be something coming out now. And a lot of that is due to the practical nature, which unfortunately they went away from in the Hobbit films, uh, which <laughs> I know Thomas and I, we've, you know, eventually we'll have to do those, but we're not. <laughs> yeah. in a huge we like to joke about the Hobbit yeah. movies okay. on the show. Well, maybe yeah. I could joke with you. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. But at that point with that, I just thought, you know what, I'm willing to spend as much time in middle earth no matter where i am i'll just yeah. kind of take it yeah <laughs> take yeah. it as and, i can get it and yeah. you, you mentioned boromir's costume which i do have something to say about that and a, a little one uh, later because there's a, a detail i i recently read about that i thought was really cool but i'll save it to kind of a section where we're getting into that but um yeah and in just the intro of the film which I, I you know again i'm i'm y'all are more y'all have read fellowship more than i have but just getting galadriel's intro and seeing the last alliance and like that whole scene was mm. great because if because mm-hmm. if someone's never read Lord of the Rings and isn't really familiar with Tolkien, you're not going to really get if you didn't have that, it would be like, well, who is Sauron? Why is this? What is the ring? Why is this a big deal? So I love that intro and seeing which to kind of connect it to Rings of Power. Like I'm I have a my speculation is the final season of Rings of Power will be the last alliance and seeing yeah. 
seeing this play out and obviously it'll be different actors, but um, you know, that's kind of my, my hope is to see that played out in, uh, in live action uh, one day. And then I know this isn't a scene in the two, in the book in the two towers, but I love how they connect the last lines here to in the two towers when the elves come to uh, uh, Helm's deep. And I know that's not in the book, but that's, I love that scene in Helm's deep. Yeah. When they, when they come. Of, yeah. Well, and that, that scene, it's kind of like, it's more heartbreaking when you read the book, because when the elves didn't come, Legolas was devastated. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know? And, and, so when you see like, oh, this is what Legolas wanted to happen. <laughs> and then you read it again and you're like, oh, my gosh, this is such a tragedy. So it's yeah. it kind of in some ways enhances both are enhanced. It's interesting. The book and the and the film are enhanced in two different ways from that scene. But that's another. Yeah. We'll talk. About. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. And just other connections with like because I, I wish I had rewatched the Rings of Power season one before we I just didn't have the chance. But seeing like the connections are there. Like we go, we're seeing a young Elrond, we're seeing the minds of Moria, Galadriel, and like remembering what, and I kind of think of the, and I think we ever, but this is a pretty common thought that the rings of power is kind of like the Jackson, you know, it's like the Jackson verse of Lord of the Rings where they're more kind of based off the films and in a lot of ways than the actual writings. Um, but yeah, just seeing like all the, even aesthetically, like the rings of power is drawn so much from these, from these films. Um, and yeah, and sometimes I, just, I wish they didn't. Yeah, I like like one one thing that this film, The Fellowship of the Ring, has done, and it's not the film's fault. It's it's people later that now Balrogs have to look like the one in this movie. Exactly. exactly and they never yeah. look any different, even yeah. though the the description in the book is pretty vague and gives a lot of leeway for you to play with some interesting creature designs for the Balrog. Nope. They just have to look like a giant demon thing with the Ram's horns and yeah, the wings yeah. and stuff. And now that's everyone's mental image of a Balrog. Cause it was the first time anyone had seen one. Exactly. When you've seen this yeah. movie and the one in rings of power looks identical. And I'm like, come on guys, you couldn't have made it look a little bit different. Yeah, <laughs> Because they're all, they were all, you know, Balrogs and, and, um, the wizards, they're all the same order. species or order, yeah, yeah in yeah. in the second age. And and you think, well, the, there there was a lot of difference between the wizards. There could have been as much variety with the Balrogs. Well, to be right, fair yeah. to to Rings of Power in that yeah. it's it's the same Balrog. So it's it that should look it is true. It should look and the they same. want yeah, they, they want to visually connect so that people know, yeah, this is the same creature. Yeah. That but yeah. I, that's true. I hadn't considered yeah. that. Yeah. But just seeing like it's cool having seen the rings of power and seeing the minds of Moria, like when they're, you know, when they're um, populated and it's it's kind of the height of their civilization and then seeing just the fall, how it's fallen into ruin in, um, in the, in the film or in, you know, in the books in the film, but yeah. So I, and I, and we know, I know there's a lot of changes in the film that uh, like, and again, I'm, I, I love the film. So what do y'all think of some of these changes? Like one of the big ones is, um is Aragorn's story because in the books he's not a reluctant hero like he gets to Rivendell and is like and he gets the sword he's carrying the hat the the hilt with him the whole time and then when he gets there it's like like he knows the whole time he's going to be he's going to be king because and he's going to marry uh Arwen like he knows that the whole time in the book but in the film it's like he hasn't 
he ha- he's he's avoided that his whole life because um, he doesn't you know he's feeling he's weak because of Alindil or not Alindil uh, Sildor. Sildor yeah so I don't and then I mean that's one of the big changes but I I tend to like it in the films as an adaptation because it if you started out Aragorn as like the big hero then it's not as interesting to me where in in the film it's like well then then your main drama is you know is the is the quest to the is frodo getting to mordor and i mean there's other drama too but that's like but this is like the main the other main component of the film story so i like that change but i don't know what y'all think of that or if there's any changes you you liked or you didn't like i know we did a whole episode on Tom Bombadil. Yeah. He's <laughs> notoriously missing for here, but if Thomas Sanjuro was here, he would talk about how that's his his big thing that they removed Tom Bombadil. Yeah, but how do you how do you put Tom Bombadil is so weird. I know. Do you know, it's like how do you get him to make sense and especially for people who aren't familiar with the with the books i just can't mm. imagine they would be like what who is <laughs> yeah. this guy what yeah. is going on you know even when i first read the books i was like tom it was just such a weird like <laughs> section of that for me yeah and they later did give some of his story elements to um treebeard in yeah in the two right. towers but yeah they tried to they tried to it, he was a very difficult character to to try to incorporate yeah. into anything i mean even if you think about the council of elrond they didn't even know what to do with tom bombadil <laughs> oh yeah they were yeah. like should we have invited him and he's like he wouldn't have even showed up anyway yeah. like, yeah. exactly. remember, tom bombadil believes what he is doing is extremely important like he, he tells the hobbits because they're like, can't you at least come to Bree with us? And he's like, no, I've got things to do. My singing and my talking and my walking. And that <laughs> is ext- to him. That is extremely important. You can't mess yeah. with his schedule. Yeah. And yeah. it's probably extremely important to Middle Earth. I know. Right. Yeah. In some mysterious way, him yeah. running around his little area and singing and living with Goldberry is somehow super uniquely important. To yeah. like the whole universe functioning or something. Well, it's kind of like the mass, isn't it? You know, that's how we, see, you know, people don't realize how important the mass is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, that's an interesting thought. Cause like it's this to, to anyone on the outside, it's this seemingly like, like it doesn't appear to quote unquote do anything. Exactly. But when it, you're in, when you're in the know, you know, it's of like supreme importance. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and there is speculation he'll be in Rings of Power, but we'll see if that does happen. Um, but yeah, in terms I mean, of any other... Aragorn, though. Oh yeah, go ahead. I don't like. I don't know. I like both interpretations for their own reasons. I feel like in the film, it was probably the right choice because you need the audience to really care about Aragorn and his journey, and it's a common film trope to have somebody who's going to have a lot of power like Aragorn only come into that power kind of reluctantly, you know, especially in this kind of postmodern world where anything with power is like verboten anyway, you know, that all power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. So like the, to a modern audience, I think it made sense almost to kind of, but, but he, he quickly fills in like the, the hero role that he's in in the book. I mean, especially by return of the King, he's in full hero yeah. King Aragorn mode. 
I don't know I, if I don't know if I liked the uh, delaying him getting the sword. That's the one thing I didn't really. I think I think you're right, Thomas, in terms of a postmodern audience not understanding a hero who's always who knows he's the hero from the yes. beginning. Yeah. I mean, I think in and this is where um, Tolkien's drawing. I think Aragorn is with the character of Aragorn, Tolkien is drawing on his, his knowledge of, of Norse sagas and things like Beowulf, you know, Beowulf from a modern perspective, sounds like an arrogant jerk, but if you could, but in that time, if you could come and say, I can do this, that's what people wanted to hear. People didn't want to hear about your self doubts and, and your reluctancy. Cause you know, they had to survive and they needed a you know, they needed somebody, to, someone to come and like, if you don't think you can kill this monster, then you need to get out of the way so we can find someone who can kill this monster, you know, and, and Aragorn was kind of like that in the book, which was very appropriate because it is quite like a saga. But I think for, for maybe a film that he would have come across, I think, I think Boromir kind of fills that role. He's very confident. He's very, um, uh, I, well, we would say today he's full of himself and we see it as a flaw and, and he was a flawed character, whereas Aragorn wasn't. And I think his reluctancy, we would interpret today as humility, natural humility. So he's right. okay. He can have this power because he doesn't want this power. Um, and he wasn't tempted really by the ring. Because he didn't want that power. Um, but I, I wanted him to be like the Aragorn in the book, if I'm going to be honest. I, I like him a lot more than uh, the film version of Aragorn. Although I think he stepped into the role at the end of the film. Yeah. He said, we yeah. will not leave them to torture and um, right. let's go get him. <laughs> and even in, in the book, when they're that whole time, they're going down the Anduin. Aragorn is plagued by self-doubt. He doesn't know what to do because Gandalf's gone at this point. And he's like, so do I have to take Gandalf's role? Do I have to escort? Is it my duty to escort Frodo all the way? Or is it my duty to go to Minas Tirith? And he's conflicted. Yeah. And yeah. yet by the end, like he says, the, the fate of the ring bearer is in my hands no longer. And he realizes what his... What his duty is, is just like in the film to go after and rescue Merry and Pippin. Yeah. But he, even in the books, like he, he can be conflicted, but not about his identity. No. He, and I, yeah, yeah. In the part when, when, when Frodo and Sam leave and when they find out that um, after they've buried Boromir and, mm -hmm. and they've sung their songs to him um, in the book, he is, there is a point where he's like, I don't know what to do. Yes. Yeah. And then he does make that decision. But I think, yeah, I think in movie Aragorn is a little bit too conflicted about his identity. Yeah. Whereas book Aragorn is just like, I'm the heir of Elendil, you know, and not like you said, not in a way where he's, he's not lording it over people or, or anything like that. He's like, it's just my identity. That's who yeah. I am, who I was born to mm -hmm. be, I actually do like the, and I don't think it's from this film, and I can't remember whether it's from Two Towers or Return of the King. I do love the line when Elrond says, "Put aside the ranger, become who you were born to be," because I, I, I just yeah. love that. I think that's a very yeah, that's, it's Return of the King because it's Return when, of the King. Okay, that's yeah. when Rohan is 
the Rohirrim is marching to aid Gondor, and uh, and Elrond brings him the sword. Uh, right. Well, like, even the other in characters the films, in the movie are like, "Get with it, man! You yeah. are the king. This is who you were born to be. Stop acting like you're not." You know. Yeah, yeah. and in the films, Elrond is worried about losing his daughter to you know to a mortal life if she if she marries uh, Aragorn. So. Um, whereas in the, in the books, it was always like, Elrond's like, if you're, if you're going to be worthy of her, then you like no less than the King of Gondor can marry my daughter. Um, Mm -hmm. and see, and that's very much that is hearkening back to the sagas and things like that, that kind of language, which sadly doesn't translate as much (laughs) as it should. (laughs) Yeah. And, and speaking of Arwen, one, one change I think that does work for me is having her take that the role of, um, I believe it's Glorfindel in the in mm-hmm. the book, who meets Aragorn and the Hobbits along the way to um, Rivendell and brings Frodo to uh, to Elrond. I like that it's Arwen here because it gives you that because if in the books, it's like you don't really get much of Arwen. It's like you get a lot more in the in the. Um, um, Whatever the appendices? Is that the, the appendices, I can think yeah. of the word. But in in the book, you don't get a whole lot of their relationship. Whereas here, like you get from the beginning, you know, like when Arwen sneaks up on Aragorn, she's like, "What's this? A ranger being caught off his guard?" And <laughs> and you, you kind of establish that from the beginning, and then you get when you get to Rivendell, you you I believe you flash back to or no, you don't flash back to when they first met. I think you flash back to when Aragorn is leaving Rivendell in the past to go become go kind of ranger when he's like leaving the the fostering of elrond uh if i could be wrong on that and then in the movie they also talk about when they first met yeah maybe that's what it is and she gives him you know she gives him the even star uh jewel which is like her because she's arwen even star it's kind of her like elf name nickname so i like that they kind of establish that here so that by the end of it because in in two towers you don't get much um of it like he has, I think in the Two Towers film, he, Aragorn has a dream of Arwen when he's winning the war, like carries him off the cliff um, or the, yeah, the war carries oh, him the, off the, the cliff. Oh, the silly death fake out that they had to yeah, do for Aragorn right. to up yeah. the drama. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think you get, you get that the there. Cliff. And then in Return of the King, you get Arwen deciding to leave Middle-earth with Elrond. And then she has a vision of having children and she confronts her father about it. And, and then, and then she, you know, he brings Elrond or he, Elrond brings Aragorn the sword. And then at the end they marry. But I think if you didn't have that setup scene, people would be, especially new viewers would be like, who is Arwen? Why do we care? So I, I like that you give her that little bit of action where she's, you know, she's carrying Frodo and all, but I don't know if that, if you guys prefer the original uh, version in the books or if y'all, which I have to of, say, if I'm going to, if I'm going to be honest, um, I really did not like that they replaced Glorfindel with Arwen. Although I will have to say something positive about what happened, like my little theory about it, but I love Glorfindel and I always had this idea of him, especially, you know, when they talk about when they, when he got to the other side of the riverbank and he was like, come at me, bro, you know, to all of the, the, the writers and and it says that Frodo looked at him and it was this elven lord in all his glory. And he was like shining and and just, you know, and, and the writers were terrified of him. Whereas Aaron, 
you know, Arwen was like, I'm going to run with the horse. And Rick, I mean, it was a really exciting <laughs> scene, you know, it was good, but I just was like, oh, whatever. I, I don't know. I really Glorfindel, I think, because not just in Lord of the Rings, but in the Silmarillion, Glorfindel mm. is an amazing character. And he was just like this guy sitting next to Elrond at the council. And I, I was really disappointed at that. Having said that, I do like all of the female characters in Tolkien, um, the way they're written and actually the way they were portrayed in the films. I think they've all been done incredibly well. They're a little bit different, you know, but I think they both were equally good. With Arwen having taken the place of Glorfindel, I do think that scene, and you tell me what you think, you know, when, when she finally gets Frodo over to the other side and he's clearly going, moving into the shadow world. And she said, whatever she picks him up and she said, what grace has been given to me, give to him. Yeah. And I thought, is that when she decided that she was going to give up her Im immortality? Like she Ooh, gave him. Yeah. I think it was a step in that direction. Cause even, cause like I said, in return of the King, she says she's going to go to the shores of, or go. She's going to leave middle earth on the ship and go back to Valinor. So I think it was definitely like, she was a step in that direction, which is for having just met her and she's giving up her, like giving her a potentially, you know, her immortal immortality to like her life force or something to, right. yeah, yeah. to, to someone to she's him. never even talked to. Like, cause she's Freda was already stabbed at that point when she comes in. So, and I don't know if maybe it's her love of Aragorn. Like she's willing, she's like, Hmm, if I give up my immortality, that means I can marry this mortal <laughs> or something yeah, like that. I, I kind of interpret it as I thought it was a really, obviously it was an incredible, profoundly selfless act. Mm -hmm. And, but I think she also understood the seriousness of the situation. You know, yeah. it was so serious that she was willing to give whatever grace was given to her. She wanted to give to Frodo. And I, and then I also think, is that part of what enabled him to, in the films, not the not the book, but in the films is, you know, we can imagine that grace that was given to him by Arwen is something that helped carry him through mm. all the way to the end. There is a book connection here, though, because in in the Return of the King book, Arwen says to Frodo that basically I'm giving you the grace of my spot on the ship. You know, that gift that That's I true, yeah, would have yeah. had to go to Valinor I now give to you a mortal who wouldn't normally have that grace. Yeah. You are being yeah. given this gift to go to Valinor and live out the end of your days there in a place where your, your spiritual wounds from the Morgul knife and stuff won't bother yeah. you. So there, there definitely is that connection. Yeah. But I hadn't thought of it in terms of like part of that grace he's receiving is kind of what helps him make it to the end. That's an interesting thought. I like that. You know, and in in terms of like, it's definitely sounds Tolkienian, you know, even if it's not, mm. if that's not in the books, that sounds something very much in the spirit. Yeah, it's the it. vibe of. Yeah. Of and I mean, and it's like I said, she's if I hadn't read the book, I would be a lot more OK with her taking Glorfindel's place. And maybe if I hadn't read the Silmarillion, but mm. since <laughs> Glorfindel is one of my favorite characters ever. He's almost like a Tom Bombadil type because he's so OP. And in the book, like they even mention that, like he's so OP, they don't even put him in the fellowship. 
because yeah, they're because like it would it would give it away what they're up to if yeah, you put yeah. somebody <laughs> as powerful as Glorfindel. It's like, oh, the, what's he doing? Yeah, they're like, <laughs> they this is supposed said, to be stealth, you know? Yeah. yeah well, what they should have done is they should have had him go on a false mission and everybody would have been following him. Would have gone after to, him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Instead, everybody. he just kind of sits in Rivendell and does nothing. But exactly. <laughs> well, maybe but, he'll show up. He could show up in Rings of Power. Like, there's still... He's uh, supposed to show up in Middle okay. Earth around the same time the wizards do. I don't think that okay. character has been cast yet. But yeah. in terms of, of Arwen... I like her portrayal in the films. Um, I like that they gave her something to do, you know, in terms of introducing us to her. Cause again, you know, and, and that, that gave the opportunity for a little bit of banter with Aragorn so that we can quickly understand their relationship and what the stakes are here. And they build that more in those quiet moments in Rivendell when they're together. Like when she tells him, you are Isildur's heir, not Isildur himself, because Aragorn is worried. Do I have that? You know, I'm I'm human. So is he. Do I have that, you know, flaw yeah. of being tempted? I Yeah, I, I like that they that. OK, she's not a Tariel like from the Hobbit movies <laughs> where, you know, if, if yeah. you know what I mean, she's not that, you know, they don't trying too hard. <laughs> right. Yeah. Did, but she's still like, yeah, I felt that they, they struck a good balance with Arwen in the films for the mm-hmm. most part. I, I do think that and they, they introduced this element in the film, that kind of thing where like the growing darkness in Middle Earth is like killing her and she's slowly like ebbing away. It, it's in the Two Towers movie. Yeah, I think yeah. I felt that was kind of unnecessary, unnecessary. But I it, it was another thing to like up the stakes. and. You know, if Aragorn and Frodo don't defeat Sauron, then Arwen will die. And I'm like, but we already have the stakes of all of Middle Earth being destroyed. Like, I get, I get everyone's going to die. die. I get that they wanted to, they wanted to make the stakes more immediate and personal for Aragorn. But I still think it was kind of unnecessary. But on yeah. the whole, I I liked Arwen in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, speaking of other changes, were there any... Uh, I have one to call out, but I'll see if you if you all have any other changes from the book to the movie that you want to bring up. Hmm. Um. Oh, I. I you know what? Sorry, I just. Oh have yeah, to say, no. Go ahead. I kind of wish, and although I know it couldn't have happened any other way because mm-hmm. they didn't have Tom Bombadil and they didn't have the the hobbits in in the barrows, but the way Aragorn very quickly just had these daggers, conveniently the size of for hobbits to use <laughs> when they were like on being chased by the, or they were on Amon, Amon Hen? Amon Weathertop. Do you know what I call, there's a place where I take the dogs and I call it Amon Who because who is the, the, um, Quinian word for dog. So we just oh, call it dog. Like, on, so yeah. I, like Amon Who, I have no idea what it's actually called. <laughs> so, um, but uh, yeah, so Amon Sul. And he like just has these daggers. I don't know. I, I it was so yeah. cool the way they got them. And then Galadriel, and, Galadriel gives them other daggers later yeah. in the movie. And I was like, okay, I guess that yeah. makes sense. But and then, but the Barrow yeah. daggers had a special significance. They were they were from they were forged in uh, the first age, Numenor, I think. I think, they I think so. Forged, yeah, they mentioned. Yeah. I think they, like, they say in the books. I think Westerness specifically, which right. is bound yeah. about for with Numenor. spells for the bane of Mordor. Yeah. So that's why they're so of 
They're like, well, it's one hit kill for like the Wish King when they. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, my my yeah. headcanon, I could headcanon that by saying, well, Aragorn was meeting the hobbits at Gandalf's request, so he had supplies for them. So that's my. From a barrow. <laughs> yeah. Sure. It's a headcanon. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> He's just, he's passing it. Yeah, he, see, he the, and Tom the, Bombadil went shopping one day. In yeah, and, and the movie is so good, we have to dig deep to come up with we these do, problems. Yeah, well, and, and speaking yeah. of, and before I kind of get to the big change, I'm or the change I'm talking about is, like, the, the quotability of this movie is just oh amazing. My, like, it's like a second language for me and yeah, my brother. We're me, always yeah, quoting this movie. Yeah. When, when I saw it, this was before memes were a thing when it first came out. But, like, my friends and I, would we would quote these things back and forth um but i mean i'm i'm a big craft beer guy so like the scene in in at the prancing pony is when pippin's ordering he sees what is that it's a pint a pint it comes in pints i'm they getting one pints i'm yeah, going exactly. to one yeah <laughs> exactly yeah and and so i but yeah that scene it's always great and then of course pippin gets uh, a little bit too deep in his pints and <laughs> tells yeah. the starts starts spreading this talking out of school and, and telling everybody oh this is this is frodo baggins i'm his um co- i'm his first cousin twice from or whatever he's whatever, whatever he says yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or what yeah, about Mary, the one where gimli Mary is like oh sorry go ahead go ahead oh i was just gonna say marion i just love marion pippin and their their portrayal in this because you see them like they're always partying like they're partying in the green dragon and in the shire they're partying at bilbo's birthday party <laughs> um and then they're partying you know th- they're just always, you know, and they're not going to have a good time for in the two towers for the for a while. Um, <laughs> but they but, party uh, even then when they're with the Rohirrim. Yeah, they're having that thing yeah. where they dance on the table. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's I think that isn't that in the um, that's in Return, that's of, the in King, the Return of the King. Yeah, yeah, but when yeah, they, yeah exactly. The, the two yeah. towers ends where they're they're in um, they're in uh, Isengard. Oh, Isengard. Isengard. Yeah, that's yeah, right. With, yeah. with Treebeard. But, but yeah, no, I, I so I, I love the like. Aragorn is probably my favorite like dramatic character in the in the in the films just his just becoming the king is amazing but like Merry and Pippin are like my favorite like non-dramatic because they're just Mm. they're so much fun like like I think I've said if I had to live anywhere in Middle Earth I would probably pick the Shire and like be able to just hang out and hang out at the at the pub and and eat (laughs) eat good food all the time and but yeah but I mean the quotability of the movie like it is a gift um you know one does not simply Walk into walk Mordor, into Mordor just, which I actually yes. saw parodied in another fantasy thing, and it was really funny. It, um, is it? Is it? Is somebody like I? I'm trying to think. I saw the quote. No, you. One cannot simply walk into Mordor, and then it showed like Frodo and and Sam walking into Mordor. <laughs> well, no, yeah, Isn't that, that I, one. Okay, I saw something where where the characters in this thing had to go somewhere, and they were like, "It turns out you can just simply walk there." Yeah, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, okay. I'm like, that was funny. Um, as as if as if the characters had seen the Lord of the Rings, which they hadn't, which made it even funnier <laughs> reference. But in any case, like one thing I do like to nitpick on a little bit is that like I wish Gimli wasn't played for laughs as much as he is in the movie. Um, I like his book interpretation much better, where he's just this awesome dwarf character. Where yeah, in the I think movie, he's yeah. I was going to say, I think he, he definitely tried to pick up on that, that really rough Scottish humor. Oh, OK. I mean, which he, if, if you I love have, John Reese davies I think yeah, he did he a great awesome. job. But and he did I a just, good Scottish accent as well. Oh, OK. Yeah. But I, I just feel like they get 
they played him for laughs just one too many times over the course yeah. of the trilogy. And I'm like, well, yeah, like nobody tosses a dwarf. Oh, right. not the was, beard. No. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, although I laugh at the beard one, though. Legolas <laughs> just reaches out and grabs him by the beard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, like I, I love just. Yeah. Like I, my favorite character from the book often rotates. And Gimli's like on that rotation. I just like him, you know, like, yeah, yeah. I just think he's cool. And I love dwarven culture and stuff like that. Yeah, like one he, of my favorite moments from the Fellowship book is when he sings the the song of Durin, which I almost have completely memorized. I've been working on it so that I can, <laughs> can memorize the song of Durin because it's, it's a long poem. But yeah, I just love that whole where he's talking about what Moria used to be when it was Khazad Doom in its glory and you get these little hints of dwarven religion and their yeah. beliefs in the the reincarnation of their leader you know Durin when he wakes again from sleep and all that stuff and yeah, yeah. I, some of the and and, I like the part in the book where he brings Frodo down like oh come on let's go look in the pool see the mirror mirror yeah, yeah. he's like Frodo yeah. I would not have you pass without seeing you know this place that's sacred to him yeah essentially he's quite a romantic Gimlius I think he is in yeah. both. And I think John both, yeah. Jones did a really good job, especially with the, um, the gifts that Galadriel would give mm-hmm. to everyone. Mm-hmm. And I loved how Kate Blanchett did such a good job where she almost, she giggled like a, like a young girl again, yeah. you know, and you think about how old Galadriel is and not too many people are going to make her giggle like a young girl. Mm-hmm. And yet he did. And um, and it was yeah. because of his his real he was just smitten with her and mm-hmm. and there was everything in it was pure like his mm-hmm. love for her was pure right yeah and we, that that goes back to we we previously recorded an episode on elf dwarven friendship and we definitely talked about that that it's like Gimli like it wasn't you know it's different than like in the books in Silmarillion Feanor wanting her he he wanted to covet like strands of her hair versus yeah. Gimli like being very humble mm-hmm. and asking so yeah and yeah and as we eventually talk about the other films I mean because you get a little bit of Gimli and Legolas in this movie you know a little bit of that developing friendship and there's and I mean there's a lot of we're we're skipping a lot of time because in the books they're like I forget exactly the timeline between like when they leave Rivendell to the time they get to Moria but they're going through Moria for like days or even Maybe even is it weeks even or is it just like I, several days? I can't remember. I think well in the film, um, Gandalf says uh, it's a four days journey. Okay, yeah, um, but I it seems remember. like in the books it's even longer than that. But um, yeah, I can't. But yeah, remember. you just get the sense that there's like you're missing a lot of like campfire scenes. And if this was, if if Tolkien had written you know a twenty a twelve book series like Wheel of Time or something, <laughs> there's a lot of scenes in Wheel of in the books Wheel of Time where people are like just traveling from one place to the other and like talking along the way. But <laughs> yeah. well, obviously, you know, and and I like those books. And, yeah, and I mean, the, but Tol- Tolkien wasn't going for that necessarily. But no. you just get the but sense I kind of wish he did. These, like, <laughs> yeah, you you just get the sense like they've they've kind of been hanging out at the camp by the campfire at night and or whatnot. But um, that reminds me that this may be another reason why it's my favorite of the three films is that I like having the fellowship all together. Yeah, I, I like yeah. I like having them together as one group. And it it's it's cool when they split off and we follow the, the different storylines. But for some reason, I, I just like having them all together. I like the idea of the fellowship. 
Yeah. And, you know? Yeah. And I think, and, and I, yeah, I, I as well, because this is where they, they became friends. They became mm-hmm. like family, you know, to one another. One of the things I was just going to say, when we we're talking about the minds of Moria and we haven't even really said much about Gandalf, who's an amazing character. Oh, yeah. McKellen um, knocks it right out of the park. Oh, yeah. I know. I know. But yeah, the casting overall was just like, I can't think of one one film actor that I would replace. And Christopher yeah. Lee better. as Saruman yeah. was an inspired Oh, I know. Choice, you know. Yeah. And also, I, you know, when the film came out, I wasn't from what I think helped really draw me into the um, Middle Earth again, yet again, was I wasn't familiar with a lot of the actors. Like I couldn't picture them in other films. So they're forever that person. You know, Elrond, I mean, he was the only one that I had seen in a film, and that was um, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. But he was so well. He was, just, uh, I think for me, he was uh, Agent, Agent Smith. Smith. Yeah. <laughs> okay. He's in see, the Matrix. Like, yeah. Okay. And see, now I'm like showing my age, but I, um, <laughs> I, yeah, I think I'm probably old enough to be both of your, let's see, your aunties. but but um you know because i hadn't seen but he was so heavily disguised as elrond i didn't really recognize him so the fact that these all these actors were sort of antipodean actors was very helpful in drawing us into the into the world and yeah and you can't like you can't picture gandalf except as ian mcclellan sir ian mcclellan do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah it'll be interesting yeah. to see if they, because now that the film rights are with another company now, it'll be interesting to see if they, what they do, if they, because they can't, like, you can't remake this film. Uh, you, you, you're not just going to, like, remake this. You have to do, they have to do something different and interpret things, yeah. you know, differently. And hopefully that's, you know, I, I mean, we'll be there. To, I'll be there to see it. So in, in um, only one case, do I think they should remake it? And that is if it, it is completely 2D animated. Like, like if, if they cool. do it, if they do an anime interpretation, yeah, like, and I know great. we're getting War of the Rohirrim, but if we got an entire like Miyazaki style anime, Lord of the Rings, that is the only like thing where I would say go for it. Yeah, I don't know, but, but I don't want to see it again in live action. I, I really, really don't. see. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, they're they're going to make it in live action because an anime film isn't going to make the budget that a film company like they're not going to make enough money whereas they think they could like oh we could probably milk this for a lot of money so i'm i bet it'll be live action now yeah we'll see what you know we'll see what <laughs> they, and they could do they could do things like they could do glorfindel instead of arwen they could do tom bombadil yeah. they could do there these are changes things that they could their, make yeah it's just that i don't trust um, them <laughs> <laughs> well i'm thinking now, if you did do some kind of um, animation i would want to see it done by cartoon saloon which did mm-hmm. and they did book of kells and the secret mm-hmm. of I can't remember what it is, uh, but anyway, because yeah. they have a style, I think that would be more, um, would make more sense stylistically to Lord of the Rings than mm. say anime. Yeah. I mean, you could do it, but I just think, yeah, they have a beautiful, beautiful style. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I'm a, I'm, uh, what do I, what do I say? I'm, I'm a purist. I'm, I yeah, hate to admit it. I'm a purist. I'll see it. I'll see it. If nothing else, for the sake of podcasting. Eventually. <laughs> right. Yeah. We um, gotta have material. You know, it'll, be, it'll be a while, but uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, these films are just are just so timeless. And as we're kind of getting toward the end, one the change I was referring to, and the thing I wanted to bring up was for me, 
Boromir's death scene is might be the my one of my favorite scenes in the entire trilogy. Like the scene where he's because it's just after he was trying to take the ring from Frodo, and he's you know he, after Frodo you know puts the ring on and runs away, Boromir's like he. He's kind of silly, but he like trips and then he like brings his head up and he's like disheveled with leaves in his hair. And he's like, yeah. Frodo. And he's like, what have I done? And but then going in, he really he sees the the Urukai coming because the Urukai are coming to, you know, they're they're on. Saruman is, I guess, created. Them. They don't really make it clear in the film how the Urukai come come yeah. to be. They're just kind of like they yeah, like they're like weird. breeding pits or yeah. anyway. Um, but yeah, his death scene where he's, uh, he's fighting off all these Urukai while the, you know, Merry and Pippin who'd given Frodo time to get away. Like they're all fighting the, the Urukai and Boromir has these three, he gets hit with three giant arrows and like, he's still fighting up until like the third arrow. And then right as the Urukai captain is about to just, you know, plant one in his chest, he, you know, Aragorn and Gimli and Legolas show up, um, you know, and unfortunately, well, Aragorn at first, right? Yeah, he fights, yeah. They're all, yeah, they're all, yeah, but they all the get there. Work. They yeah. actually gave him a name, and I think okay. I think it's in the subtitles. Lurts, okay. yeah. and Lurts <laughs> is he's he's in. I think he's in the Two Towers as well, like in the book. Okay. There's a oh, character called Lurts. Is there? Because I, I think in the book so. the leader is um, Ugluk. Mm. Yeah, but I'm talking about like the two guys that were the two orcs that were. Going oh, through when, guys, when Sam was guys. following yeah. him, yeah. following yeah. him through to go after yeah. Frodo. Um, Sorry, we digress. Oh no, 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 no worries. <laughs> we always do that on this <laughs> show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I was saying like his, but he's so he gets he's dying basically in air, and he's you know he's confessing. And I read an article on Word on Fire, which I don't have it offhand, but someone is basically like talking about this as like an a Catholic absolution of Boromir because he's like confessing what he mm-hmm. did and he. And, um, you know, he's he's and this is different in the books, because in the books, he's just like, as he dies, is like, farewell, Aragorn, save my people. And it's like he doesn't even consider Aragorn even one of his people. But in the film, he says, you know, he's like, I, you know, I, I, the White Tower will, you know, will fall and our people will fail. And Aragorn says, I promise you, I will I will not see the White City fall. And Boromir says, I will I would have followed you, my uh my leader, my captain, my king, my brother, and, he calls or my brother. Yeah, that's yeah. the other word. My brother, my captain, my king and dies. And just so at least for me, like it gives me chills every time. It's like for me, that's one of the big the chill moments I get from these movies. It's a beautiful um, moment. Yeah. Yeah. It is. And then I, the, the costume thing I was going to just as I the, the last thing I was going to say is I read recently that and I never noticed this, but as toward the, the past that when Legolas, Gimli and Aragorn are like they're letting Frodo and Sam go. Aragorn is putting on Boromir's van braces, so he had mm-hmm. taken them off of, yeah. off of uh, oh. Boromir, and he's like when he's like tying onto his wrist, he's putting on Boromir's van braces. Oh, which way. is like a cool what? Yeah, and I had I just saw that recently in an article, and I was like, because I'm not like I'm a I, when I and it's a problem when I read and watch things. It's like I absorb the big stuff, but it's those little details that I'm like I I don't I don't focus on. It's just not how my mind works, but. Just such a cool moment, such a cool detail. And it is. You know, luckily, it's, we get to see Boromir, at least in, in a flashback, you know, later in the trilogy. Yeah. But. He was a hero, you know, yeah. He, yeah. he died a hero. And I was as I was watching yeah, it, that redemption. 
He did. And do you know what it actually reminded me of? Um, I told my husband last night, I said, this reminds me of Christ on the cross to the good thief when he said, you, you know, I will see you in heaven. And um, on this day, I will see you in heaven. And it was almost like um, Bormir was, I could imagine that scene. It's like the Bormir and Aragorn, that interaction would be like Christ and the good thief on the cross. Yeah. It's really beautiful. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. I like that Boromir gets that redemption and that they, they add a little bit to it because yeah. he's not, he's not a bad person. He's a fundamentally no. good person. He just had a moment of weakness. And he was a know? desperate person. He was Des a desperate yeah. man who wanted to save what he loved. And that was Gondor, mm -hmm. his culture, you know, he was willing to do anything and that's what made him vulnerable to the ring. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. Oh. one uh, change from the books that I wanted to mention and to get your guys thoughts on before we moved on is that they decided to literally in to interpret very literally the eye of Sauron as a mm. giant flaming eyeball on <laughs> top of Baradur, where. I guess there's some justification in the book, but not a whole lot. The Eye of I, Sauron is meant as kind of like this symbol for the, the overpowering will of Sauron that is on you, especially when you've got the ring. But yeah, it, yeah it's kind I, of everyone makes fun of it and laughs at it. It was even yeah. in the Lego Batman movie when they have a bunch yeah. of cameos from other universes. The, Sauron shows up and he's a flaming Lego eyeball on top of the <laughs> Yeah, I I think it it comes or is somewhat inspired by some of the illustrations of Tolkien himself. Um, oh. I don't know if there was a tour. Gosh, I want to say now five or five years ago of um, the collection at the Bodleian or Bodleian, however you want to say it, where it did make its rounds in the United States. I don't know if, if either one of you ever had a chance to see. No, this I may have seen like of, stuff online of it, but yeah, I didn't Okay, go. of Tolkien's, um, Tolkien's illustrations. And they weren't just from Lord of the Rings or, or from Middle Earth, although a lot of it was. We actually went to the Bodleian to see it. And, and I think there's something there that would, would have probably justified how they, they did it. Okay. Um, yeah, I think it I think it makes sense to have because if Sauron's the, you know, the ultimate villain of the films, like you've you've got he's got to be represented somehow. He's mm -hmm. as a film, it, you know, as a book, it makes sense. He's doesn't have to be you don't have to see him to know. Yeah, him, he's a know disembodied he's spirit in the books. But in the yeah. yeah, it makes films you to have some have like a visual representation of that. And you actually hear in this film and others Sauron talking to people like through he's talking mm -hmm. to Sauron through the. um palantir and he does the same in return of the king he sees Ar he aragorn you know picks up the palantir and and you know air he sauron's talking to him there so you actually get to see like sauron's uh, in, in after having him seen his physical form in the in the the um when they're when galadriel's narrating the last alliance you see sauron physically but then you get to see like you, it, I don't know. To me, it made sense. And I mean, I, I, as I've read the books, I just Sauron's an eyes like, a, you yeah. know, and it's just the, you know, I think of it as like, it's his spirit. It can be whatever. It's just, mm -hmm. it's a spirit. He's just showing himself as an eye, which would probably terrify the orcs and terrify his 
subjects already because they you know they know there's a giant flaming eyeball because <laughs> Sauron, rules, Sauron rules through fear he doesn't yeah, rule through exactly so, like, mm-hmm. so exactly. I, I think it may, i think it makes sense and yeah and there, there is an implacableness about it that it's just like this giant eye that never sleeps you know yeah. and that i have heard like some theorizing that like that's not his true shape at this point in the movies but that like he's he's manifesting a sort of ethereal projection of this eye but that he's really inside the tower is like where his main like spirit form like body is yeah i think it's it's hard how do you how do you depict a spirit or something this evil spirit and i know that towards the end of um this is of course going on to another film but in return of the king where they have that battle to kind of distract him and Mm -hmm. you know the um this big cave troll comes out and it's going after Aragorn and everyone's like, Oh my gosh. And, um, and he's stepping. Well, I think originally that was supposed to be Sauron, which is explains why they have the facial expressions they have. So that troll. And so then, so they had it. So it was originally supposed to be the embodiment of Sauron, but then there was a little bit of like, wait a minute, Sauron is still supposed to be a spirit. And how is he going to, how is this going to happen? They're not going to kill that thing. And so then they switched it from Sauron to this cave troll. Mm-hmm. But when you watch it and you kind of like, let's imagine that was Sauron coming out. Like, could yeah. you imagine that would have been almost like so insane. A, yeah. a redo of the battle between Elendil and Sauron. Yeah. Like a well, and I can, I'm going to yeah. head in now that Sauron is, is, uh, uh, possessing that cave troll for that for that battle, yeah. so that's when you that's headcanon for that. Exactly, I exactly. Yeah. I think it would have been. Do you know what would have been really cool if like the that troll just had just a lidless eye, <laughs> Ooh, a yeah. lidless eye, or like not a, a googly eye, but like you know, a, it like, like a flame in like Cyclops eye. or something. You know? I yeah, think too like that Sauron's the, eye. the imagery of this all-seeing eye on top of this tower. It like it's very much like is the modus operandi of Sauron as kind of a satanic figure, because he's taking something that is used as imagery of the divine in other contexts Mm -hmm. and perverting it. I mean, if you turn an American dollar bill over, you'll see the all seeing eye of Providence on top of a tower as, as, as part of the imagery of the, uh, the, the, the great seal of the United States. It is a pyramidal tower with a giant luminous eye And it's supposed to represent the all seeing eye of divine providence. And of course, and and so Sauron is like perverting that he's like, oh, I I can I can be this all seeing eye on top of a tower. It's like, you know, taking that imagery and just perverting it and twisting it, because as, as we know from like the Silmarillion, and I think they mentioned this in the Lord of the Rings, Morgoth and Sauron are not creative. They don't create anything of their own. They just take things that already exist. Yeah, and, and twist mock them, them. and yeah. mock them. Yeah, so I think it's it's very interesting, quasi blasphemous imagery. But that's the point. He's Sauron. He's a he's a dark spirit. His whole point is like I want to take God's place. Essentially, yeah. all yeah, his well, armies worship him as a god. So yeah, and everything he has is a mockery of something that um, Eru Iluvatar has made. Yeah, like mm-hmm. in the trolls, they're like a mockery of Ents. They're yeah. like so. And the Urukai um, are probably a mockery of the elves, and the mm-hmm. and the goblins and the orcs are mockeries of men. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, unless anyone has anything else, the last kind of note I was, and we 
our last couple notes, one thing we didn't talk about at all when we did a whole episode on him was was Gollum and like this oh. portrayal of Gollum was it's Ooh. like this is always going to be Gollum. Like we did the mm-hmm. Hobbit movie, uh, then or the um, we did the animated Hobbit, and that's a very different interpretation of Gollum. But like I'm always going to think of Andy Circus mm. as Gollum in in this film and in you know the Hobbit films, but um there's you know at some point we we did the um born of hope as a prequel and at some point i want to do the there's that hunt for Gollum short film ah uh, the fan film yeah yeah because yeah. aragorn aragorn found Gollum and after but he had already been captured by um you know mordor had released him at that point um so but yeah i don't know if any of y'all when we've talked a lot about Gollum, and uh, i don't know if any of y'all have anything to say about that uh about him in the film but we don't right. see well, much of him in yeah, this film. Yeah, no, true. we just kind of see his, as, yeah, you know, I guess blinking two, in the dark. Yeah, eyes, it's more yeah. of the two towers discussion. But yeah, yeah, he's an I, they all kind of run, they, they all <laughs> they all, run together yeah, they for do. me. It's like, like how many like times I'm, in this discussion have I said something is two towers, but yeah. it's really Return of the King? You know, yeah, like I'm going to have yeah. to go watch two towers, even though it might be a while, it'll be a little bit before we get to them, but I'm going to have to go watch two towers and Return of the King in the near future just to kind of complete my, because I do kind of consider them all like, I mean, in, in in Tolkien himself, the it was books, you know, one and two, two and three, and four, or one and two, three and four, and five, five and six. And six were, yeah. So it was all like it was the Lord of the Rings was a you know, and he obviously broke it up, but it's like, you know, it's it's one continuous story. But yeah, um, yeah. Lord, and I mean, has anybody ever just done a Middle Earth marathon starting I've, with The Hobbit? And oh, then going all the way through. Well, <laughs> I've wanted to do it. Yes, I I made my family. Well, actually, I didn't make because we were all willing to do it. But it was <laughs> over um, one Christmas hol- holiday break. We, we started with The Hobbit and all extended versions. And we just for what is it? Twelve, twelve <laughs> nights. Yeah. Like, come on, we're going to watch it again. <laughs> yeah, I've wanted to do, I've, I'm not, I don't think I've done them, the movies in the same day, but I've, I've done them before. And like, I'll do like one a day, like when I've had paternity leave or stuff and have, have a lot of time, like I'll turn them on. I'll do that. But yeah, it's hard nowadays to sit. Like I had to watch this in about three settings just cause you know, I'm, I, mm. it's hard with, to find the time to, without falling asleep at the end of the night <laughs> when I'm watching. So, um, but, but yeah, I, I, and unfortunately, we're not we're not doing the nine hour version of this where every time Sam, every time Sam takes a step further from the Shire, it cuts back to the scene of this is the furthest I've ever been away from the Shire. <laughs> someone someone on YouTube like made that into a video where it's like they cut out that scene and insert it every every step Sam takes. In what? The oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's like, insane. Yeah. Oh it's like God. nine hours long. You posted that on our Slack channel and I had no clue what you were talking about. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's like. What? And then I watched a video of someone who actually did it. And he said it was like nine hours. And he was like, you almost have to go into like, you know, a detached consciousness. Because like, there are parts of the movie that are just like, he's literally taking a step and you, and you, you know, insert that quote. But, oh but yeah, God, people yeah. have had a, I, it, but the last thing I had on here before we kind of wrap up, because I know we're kind of getting to time is, is this the films is kind of a cultural phenomenon because this is like for me I probably I may have read them eventually but if without the films I probably wouldn't have read the books that soon but like I know a lot of my friends who have never read a, a word of Tolkien they're familiar with it from these films and 
you know, they can, even if they've never read the books, they have, they can kind of get into the world through them. And for me, it was like a gateway. Cause like now, every time I'm like, as we've done the podcast, I, like I'll spend, I'll start looking up one thing of in Tolkien lore and then I'll start looking and it leads me like an hour later. I've looked up, I've spent <laughs> on a rabbit hole looking up lore and stuff. So um, yeah, it's just, it's a cultural phenomenon that like captured the minds of, and I think it kind of kicked off this, high fantasy adaptation world because now like yeah because now like you know we have game of thrones and wheel of time is is uh you know fresh off the and just a ton of these are it's like every everyone now is trying to make a version of this you know you know and i mean there are good stories out there that they can do um but it's like i feel like at least jackson peter jackson was he wanted to like bring this to like he was a visionary it wasn't just like Ooh, this will make money. It was like he he had the vision of wanting to bring this story to life for as like an artist. So I don't know if y'all have any thoughts on just kind of the the cultural phenomenon of this. And like we've talked about the memes and you know the <laughs> more to more to come as we do eventually do the other films. But um I don't know if y'all had any final thoughts on that or anything else for the film before we close out. I I have to say I'm a bit torn. Because I know, I'm glad it's a cultural phenomenon. I'm glad that um, someone interpreted Tolkien so beautifully, you know. I, but the other side of it is that there are there's a certain degree of commercialization that I'm really not comfortable with, only because I know how um, Tolkien felt about excessive yes exactly yeah, stuff get, like you, that people I listening just, can't see but i have my gandalf on guai here funko pop and it's really yeah. only, the only like lord of the rings like merch thing i have but it was a gift from my brother and i keep it on my desk there you go but i was gonna say and if you flip it over on the bottom it probably says made in mordor <laughs> actually it doesn't say anything there's no made of stamp on here there you go just it's just he they came out of the rocks or whatever (laughs) sprang out of the rocks but um yeah i think it's that that commercial element of it that i'm a little uncomfortable with and um and as i said i am a purist so i think that has something to do with it i just want to keep it just as nice it's like there's a difference between um you know, my husband and I just wandered into an antique shop the other day and they have stuff from the 1600s in there. And if you look at something from the 1600s, like a table or a chest of drawers, and then you like look at Ikea, like there's no comparison. <laughs> Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And yeah, if, if that's the thing is it gets the the further it gets from from Tolkien and, and what he wanted this world to be the less authentic it feels to me. That's all. Yeah. But. And, and I think that's what the Hobbit movies kind of, you know, we, we've joked and there, I, there's good in the Hobbit movies. And oh, I yeah. think the first one, the first one is probably the best. Cause it's, it's, you know, mo- I would say the most faithful out of the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, I three. Like the first one. Yeah. yeah it, but I think part of it was like, I think Peter Jackson, he wanted to do the Hobbit. And I think the studio is like, you made three Lord of the Rings movies. Let's make three Hobbit movies to make money. And so there's probably, you know, a compromise that he had. If he wanted to do the Hobbit, he had to do 
you know, yeah. he had to make it three movies. Um, it was definitely like butter spread across too much bread. Much bread. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> why shouldn't I? Why shouldn't I make three movies? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a meme too. Like, yeah, yeah. After all, why not? Why shouldn't, why shouldn't I? I? Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I, we and I don't know. We you know maybe we have to do. We'll have to do a show at some point with you, Alex, on bigger opinions on Rings of Power, but. Yeah, yes. Thomas and I yes. were, you know, I think do we were you relatively really want to do that. <laughs> well, well, that's why no, we started. You know, because <laughs> it's good to get different perspectives because the panel yeah. on the show, we we were pretty we were pretty surprised and generally positive about it. So it it's good not to live in an echo chamber and it's good to have different perspectives. And mm. I know a lot of people were not satisfied with the Rings mm. of Power. So. Yeah, I mean, it's not yeah, the films uh, like the, the the Lord of the Rings trilogy will be my, you know, probably my favorite will probably always be my favorite adaptation of Tolkien, no, you know, no matter what happens with, um, you know, future things. But um, yeah, but yeah, but, I, um, I, I agree with you. Thoughts? Yeah, I was just going to agree with Alex that the the amount of commercialization has been a bit disappointing, especially in the realm of some of the video games. And I'm I'm not a huge gamer myself, but I, I keep abreast of the news in that sphere. There's, and the, speaking of, there is one. Sorry to interrupt and digress, but there is a, a Shire game coming out at some point. Um, is it a farming sim? It better be like I, like Stardew Valley or something. I I don't know exactly much about. I don't know much about it, but I did see like it, it seems like it has a lot of good buzz. It's like oh okay, it seems like a you know simple kind of farming sim of the Shire. I would I love that. <laughs> but so. anyway, like. The the Shadow of Mordor games, especially the second one with the loot boxes, it was such a naked cash grab. And and the fact that the premium loot boxes were called Mithril loot boxes. I'm like, this is from hell. I'm like, this <laughs> Mordor, from it's from Mordor. Mordor. Yeah, exactly. Or it's from Udun, you know, like <laughs> Tolkien is like, like he would be tearing his hair out to know that like yeah. you know mithril is being used oh this is the premium loot box where it's like it's basically gambling it's like this randomized thing and you got to pay real money for it and i'm like this is like really skeevy and i don't like it but like i do so i understand that they are moving in some directions where the the commercialization you know, you, all you think of just what Thorin says in The Hobbit, if the world cared less about hoarded gold, it would be a lot merrier. But I do like the cultural phenomenon, how it's been a cultural phenomenon, because when when I was in college, I knew a lot of people who were huge fans of the films and got exposed to the books that way. And many of my friends, because I was in the sciences, many of my friends were either agnostic or atheist. And it was a way that I could start discussions with them and say, like, well, you know, Tolkien was a devout Catholic and he put all of this deeply Catholic imagery into the Lord of the Rings. And they'd be like, what, really? And then I'd have a chance, you know, as a conversation starter to plant a seed there. And so I, I just I think that there's definitely, you know, especially among the younger generations, us kind of nerd geek community, you know. It's it's a way to kind of I'm glad that more people are exposed to it. I am concerned about, you know, the future directions. And while I liked um, the first season of Rings of Power, there's always the possibility it could get much worse. And so I am concerned about that. But I, I think 
on the whole, it's bit. I'm glad that we got a this film trilogy being largely faithful to the books and exposing so many people to it. I know that in America, Tolkien popularity has kind of been in waves. Like apparently, with the Woodstock crowd, it was very popular. I've heard in Leonard Nimoy. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, well, there's the, there's the there's the pipe weed aspect of. Uh... Oh, there's that. Yeah. You know, I saw on YouTube once there was this video explaining how pipe weed is totally not the weed you think. And it got so many downvotes of people who were just angry. They're like, no, it is weird. And it's like, oh, it's just tobacco, guys. You can't can't walk as far as they did and do everything they did if you're smoking a doobie. I'm sorry. (laughs) Anyway, there's the meme of Gandalf. Saruman saying, you know, you the love of the halfling's pipe weed has clouded your mind. And there's the, then you see the, the picture of Gandalf saying, well, that's just like your opinion, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just so many, so many memes. Just so oh, this, goodness. these things are such like not quite as as memeable as, you know, the Star Wars prequels, but still still up there. Good. But um, yeah. Well, I think unless anyone has anything else, I think that'll do it for. Yeah, before time. we go completely off the rail. I know. Yeah, exactly. I'm just thinking, I'm looking at the time. I still have to make dinner. Yeah. <laughs> dinner, yeah. supper. Oh, yeah. Elevenses. It's going to be elevenses if I don't go Exactly. Well, um, in that case, that's it for this episode of The Secrets of Middle Earth. We'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make this show possible, including Naomi S., Dan H., Renee S., Syntex S and James C. Their generous donations help us to continue to create the secrets of Middle Earth and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them at sqpn.com slash give. Now we'd love to hear from you, our listeners. What do you think about Peter Jackson's Fellowship of the Ring? And as we look forward to recording more Secrets of Middle Earth episodes in 2024, we wanted to ask you, our listeners, what topics you would like to hear us discuss. Please send your ideas to our Facebook page or on Twitter or by sending an email to middleearth at sqpn.com, by leaving us a comment on YouTube, or by visiting our channel on the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. We're having a lot of fun over there. It's like a messaging messenger type of service you can have conversations about and uh, really enjoyable. Join us in upcoming episodes where we'll be discussing the sequels to this film and other topics of Middle Earth. And though I have known them half as well as I should like, Alex Murray, thank you for joining me in discussing the secrets of Middle Earth. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. And Thomas Salerno, thank you as well. Thanks so much, Jeff. And once again, I'm Jeff Hecker. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Middle Earth on StarQuest. another show on the star quest network you're sure to enjoy the secrets of middle earth find it wherever you can find podcasts or at sqpn.com slash middle earth